So what gives you peace? And think about that question. Now, a better question might be, who gives you peace? And when you start thinking about that, a list of names of people come that when they show up, there's some people, let's face it, there is no peace. It's like, oh, here they come again. <laughs> you laugh because you already have people on your list. <laughs> and you know, there's other people that when they come, they bring a welcomed calmness. But I want to remind you this morning that the who we're talking about is Jesus. And like I said last week, it's all about Jesus. We're going to say that again. It's all about Jesus. Now, we live in a time, at least according to sociologists, a time of high anxiety. They say our counseling offices are full. Mental health experts are warning of the increase in mental health issues. It's getting younger and younger, especially among women and girls. And of course, when you hear this kind of diagnosis on culture, there's plenty of blame to go around. They talk about COVID-19. They talk about the environmental crisis, that if we don't fix our world, our world will take it out on us. Talk about social justice, racism. And have you noticed, people are just playing down angry. Anybody fly lately? I mean, they're talking about an increase of people just angry on planes. And that's kind of unnerving, because what do you have to be angry about? You're up in the air, you trust the pilot. Let's face it. You know, it's in his hands. So we keep deconstructing what is wrong and possible solutions. But I have to think about an Old Testament book. I feel like we're reliving. It's the book of Judges. And if you read the book of Judges, it's a very dark, dark book. And yet, in the beginning of the book, it says this, and at the end, it says this, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I think that's the kind of culture we're living in. I think we're living in a Romans 1 culture that shifts our worship from the creator to the creature. It's no longer about him. As, as Chris said, we came to worship to an audience of one. But we like the attention. And so we're told today that truth is subjective, and that violates the very premise because that's an absolute statement, isn't it? And yet they say nothing is absolute. So narratives shift and are created to suit our desires and our extreme narcissism. By the way, they've been writing about narcissistic behavior, selfishness in the 70s, I remember, then the 80s, then the 90s, then the 2000s, 2010. It just... Secular sociologists saying that we are getting more and more selfish as an American culture. But our extreme narcissism and entitlement mentality has made us very unwise. Lies become truth and truth become lies. And it appears to me that we're living in the times of Jeremiah with our current solutions and directions. I think this is why scripture is so relevant. You can sit there and read a passage and it's like, wow, that's just like today. And how many people feel like Jeremiah? Here's what he says in chapter 6, verse 14. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. I mean, think about the conversations you hear today. Think about what people are angry at. Think about the solutions. And people are not getting more peaceful. They're getting more chaotic. Now it's been noted, and whether it's true or not, 
that Rockefeller, who was one of the wealthiest people of his day, was interviewed one time, and they asked him this question, how much is enough? His answer, when I get just a little bit more. Think about that. We all have dreams, don't we? And how many of our dreams, just a little bit more? And of course, we think these dreams will give us peace. And so we say, you know, I just need a little bit more money, and then it'll be a peace. In our families, we say to our spouses, well, if you could just be a little bit more better, then we'd be peace in our relationship. And, and our kids, if you're only just a little bit more and apply anything, whether it's being you know, in the educational system or sports or anything. I mean, think about even our looks. I was doing some research this past week, and it's absolutely incredible the amounts of money we spend on our appearances to look younger or different. Jobs. Well, if I've had just a little, maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a different boss. Now, I've been doing this for over four decades. And I got to admit, there's times I wish I was just a little better preacher. Now, what that means for me is this. I wish I had the mind of Tim Keller, the preaching style of Tony Evans, and the accent of Alistair Begg. (laughs) And I could really preach then. (laughs) And dealing with our peace... You know, we must look at what the world has to offer. And we need to note this, that whatever the world offers for peace, it does not end well. And that's why what God has to offer through his word, what is offered in Christ Jesus, that it's all about Jesus, is what we need to turn to. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, the scripture I'm going to read this morning. I know I preached in this a few years back, but I'm going to say some different things about it. A lot of passages that talk about peace, and we're going to get into some principles. But I think this passage kind of reflects what I want to share this morning. Paul writes this, and again, remember the context. Paul is sitting in a prison. He's experienced beatings from mobs. He's been threatened his very life, time and time again. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by snakes. I mean you would look at his life and say, that's not a life of peace. But here's what he writes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That just means, you know, have joy. And we're going to talk about that next week. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then here's what he says. There's a consequence. And the peace of God... And some translations have God's peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's what we're looking for. That's the kind of peace we're talking about this morning. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've learned and received and heard in me, practice these things. And the God of peace or God's peace will be with you. This is God's word. I want to talk about two things this morning. And it reminds me back when I was in Bible college. um, 
I was part of the generation, and, and this probably is part of my reason why sometimes I want to be a better preacher. They would teach us to have three points, and they want you to alliterate, you know. And, and being off the farm, my vocabulary wasn't large enough to alliterate, so it was frustrating. But I still remember I'd go in class, and I'd have my sermon prepared, and the teacher would look at me and say, why do you have four points instead of three? I says, well, I saw four points. Well, no, make it three. <laughs> so part of my past is like, here again, I got two points instead of three. So for those that like three point, I apologize. Uh, you have to get over it. This is who I am. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about two things this morning. One is the character of peace. And the second is the disciplines of peace. The character of peace and the disciplines of peace. Let's talk about the character of peace for a moment. History records that things go wrong. You read history, there's wars, there's pestilence, there's natural disasters, there's famines. And when you study history and sociology and the people, what you realize is that people live with a sense of fragility in life. That there are things that are just out of our control. I was raised on a farm. You could do all the right things. You could plant all the right seeds. You could fertilize. You could weed. You could do all the right things. But if the weather did not cooperate, nothing would grow. Now today, they tell us that we've lost this sense of life being fragile. Now, what that means is this. We're high tech. We're globally connected. And here's what people are saying now. This should not happen anymore. Now, we realize life's fragile, but it should not be. And, and we have to fix it. And so we have these expectations and even this entitlement that things like this should not exist in my life. You know, I shouldn't hurt. I, I shouldn't have to go to the hospital. I shouldn't have to lose my job. I shouldn't have to experience whatever we experience. What we want today is designer lives, that we get whatever we choose. And if we get whatever we choose, then life will be great. That's how the world thinks. So, in our culture, we don't have a working strategy on how to handle trouble. Now, we do, but it's random and full of hypocrisy. I mean, let's just take the doctrine of tolerance. They say today we need to be tolerant, and if we're tolerant of each other, we'll have a peaceful culture. But they tell us we must be tolerant of everyone except those who disagree with how we define tolerance. So in the name of tolerance, we become the most intolerant people, and it's why we lack civility in our conversations. We can't sit down and have conversations with people who think differently than we do about a particular issue. And we have to remind ourselves is that peace is not the absence of trouble. I don't know how your week went. My week was not a peaceful week in terms of situations. And I had to preach on peace. <laughs> but John 8, 16, verse 33, I think our PowerPoint kind of went out, so you'll just pay attention to these texts. Oh, there it is. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you'll have tribulation. I mean, these are the words of Jesus. He says, you're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart. What? 
I have overcome the world. Now, we're going to talk about that in a moment because that's so important. He says, you're going to have tribulation. We live in an evil world. It rains on the just and the unjust, as the psalmist says. And even Jeremiah cries out to God these words. He says, listen, why do the unjust prosper in me? I find myself in constant trouble for doing what you told me to say and do. But this peace of God is an unshakable It's unshakable even in the midst of trouble. I mean, take the example of Jesus and his death and resurrection. He went to the cross and he had peace, even though he's saying, Father, forgive, he's saying, Father, forgive them for what they don't want to do. But he says, listen, can you take this cup from me? I mean, this is hard. Now today, we're defined by trouble, aren't we? And today we say, if I can eradicate this trouble... If I don't have to go through this, then I will find peace. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture tells us that you can find peace in every and any situation. Now, there's two things I want to say about the character of peace. Here's the first. Peace is an inner calm and stability in all circumstances. That's what Paul is writing about. He was tortured. He faced death by mob rule, prison. And today, how we deal with anxiety, what do we do? We go on a spending trip. I read this past week that the, this, is, this Christmas season so far has been the highest Christmas of people using buy now, pay later credit. Why? Because they think if they buy these things, then they're going to have a peaceful Christmas. Think about our pill industry, both legal and illegal. By the way, if you didn't know that 80% of people that are in illegal drugs started out with pharmaceuticals. We have a pill for everything, and that pill will give you peace. No, it will not. It will mask the symptoms of something deeper inside of you. Our therapy and counseling offices are full. And we do all this, why? Because we think we are in control, that if we do this and get this, then we'll have peace. And what we need to understand is it's all about Jesus, amen? Two, peace is a sense of being protected. In verse 7 of the passage I read, know what it said, that it's going to guard your hearts. God's peace, the peace of God, will guard your heart. It's a military word. And it's the idea where a city is surrounded by soldiers to protect that city. That's what God's peace does. Now, the opposite of peace is anxiety. It's debilitating worry. And again, worrying being anxious to a certain degree is normal. I mean, any parent who raises a child worries. I still remember when our kids became 16, they passed their driver's test. There was a relief because we didn't have to run them everywhere. At the same time, there was worry and new concern. It was, are they going to make it home safely? The worry here is about being controlled by it. So that's the character of peace. Now, let's talk about the disciplines of peace. Paul said this in the passage. Remember this? He says, I have learned. This is not natural. This is something we develop. And where we have to start with discipline is, is it, is it God's plan or is it our plan? I mean, I love a story in the Gospels where there's a storm at sea. Disciples are doing everything in their power to get the boat back to shore before it's sinking. But they're making no headway. And where's Jesus? He's sleeping. 
And you get this picture of their frantic efforts. Nothing's working. They see Jesus sleeping, and they finally get frustrated. They wake him up, and what do they say? How can you sleep? What's wrong with you? Don't you care if we die? Now I ad-lib some of the scripture there. But they said, don't you care if we die? Now Jesus is a bit stern, and what's he say? Where's your faith? And he calms the sea. And if I was in the boat and that happened, I'd probably sit there and say, why didn't you do this in the first place? Why do we have to do all this effort? Isn't that how we live, though? So there's three disciplines that Paul talks about if we want God's peace. The three disciplines are thinking, thanking, and loving. Now, he started by saying this. Think on these things, things that are true, noble, and right. Now, do you know what we call this? We call this doctrine. This is God's plan for the world. This is his world, amen? And as Isaiah said, when he was in distress and worry and anxiety over a king who passed away, God gives him a vision of God high and exalted sitting on a throne. It really is all about Jesus. Now, if you go to Barnes & Noble and you start looking up books on peace, they're never going to ask you what you think. They'll give you techniques. They'll talk about rest and balance and yoga and how you defy negative emotions. But what Paul tells us, right doctrine, right thinking, leads to peace. Now, there's smart peace and there's stupid peace. Example of stupid peace. Ho, 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 off to the bottle I go. I heal my hurt and drown my woe. Now, you can put bottle in there with anything. When you use things to numb your life, that is stupid peace. If it's stuff, if it's people, if it's a particular addiction, if it's your job, if it's your home, those things will not Fix what needs to be fixed in you. Now, smart peace is looking at the big, big picture. It's seeing that God is in control. He's high and exalted, as I said, sitting on his throne. And knowing that he is moving this world to culminate with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's where he brings in the new heavens and new earth. And he fixes everything that we're trying to fix now. So what Paul says, basic Christian doctrine, if we get it right and if we believe it, peace, which is unthinkable, and that simply means peace that we cannot manufacture on our own, peace that we can't even explain how we got it, it will guard our hearts. And our hearts need guarded, don't they? There's a lot of things that can bring us down in terms of peace. Now, secondly, he says thanking. Make your request to God with thanksgiving. Now, that's counterintuitive. We usually thank him when we get what we think we need. But when you thank him at the end of the request, here's what we do. We say, our life is in your hands, and we thank you for everything that you're going to do, because whatever you're going to do, we know is best. Now, think about the day Christ died. Most of his followers... We're sitting there saying, I, I can't believe this. This is not supposed to happen this way. We had plans. 
Think about all the good that he could have done and would have done. Think about bringing his kingdom to this world right now. And while they're going through all this, this can't be happening this way. In a period of chaos and unrest and unpeace, they were staring at the greatest thing God has ever done. But they couldn't get their heads around it. So we have to thank him in the midst of the request. Then he talks about loving. Whatever is lovely, admirable, excellent. He's talking about attraction here. And yes, we need to think the right things, but we also have to love the right things. Think of it this way. If you love success, if that's first in your heart, you will not have peace, no matter how much success you get. If you love your family, and that's first in your heart, you're going to be filled with worry and anxiety, and if you lose one, it'll destroy you. There will be no peace. If your first love is God, then that peace will guard your hearts through every situation and circumstance that you go. Augustine, and then later C.S. Lewis, talked about how we as humans disorder our loves. A word in the Old Testament used for that is idolatry. It's where something good takes the place of something we call God. So we have this false notion. If I think right, and I'm thankful right, and if I love right, then I will be at peace with everyone around me. (laughs) See, that's not what this is saying. If you think right, and if you thank right, and if you love right, then you're going to be at peace inside of you, no matter what is around you. Luke 12, verse 51 Jesus says, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, (laughs) I tell you, but rather division. Nice way of saying being a follower of Jesus will create unrest. It will cause some trouble. And Paul knew this all too well because in him ministering the gospel to people who desperately wanted and needed that, there was people that tried to stop him. But what you need to understand this morning is we possess the God of peace. And that's where we get the peace. Now, here's the secret. Later on in the passage, he says, and I've learned this secret, that if you think rightly and live with a grateful mind and heart, if you love God first, in Christ Jesus, he will keep you in his peace. And that peace will be irrational. It will not make sense. It's not the absence of emotions that we label as negative, but it's the strength to live. It's the strength to see clearly. And the Bible speaks of the difference between a morally restrained heart, which we often try to do, we want to be in control, and a supernaturally changed heart. We finally give in and surrender and allow him to do what he only can do in our lives. I guess what I'm saying is that this whole subject of peace and hope, like we talked about last week, it's a hard issue. And it really is all about Jesus. One of my favorite passages, and I've used this so often when I've gone through seasons of some pretty stressful trouble. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. And you've heard me say this before, that the jars of clay here are cracked jars. They're imperfect. And of course, in our imperfection, if Jesus is in us, what happens? His light shines through those imperfections. So this treasure in jars of clay is Christ. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And that means... (laughs) You can't define it. 
through his spirit and through his word, he does something in us that we can't do for ourselves. Then he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The word afflicted here means to press down. It was used of an old torture device where they would put a board on top of you and start piling rocks. And you love this thought because if you confessed, they kept piling rocks on and you died. If you didn't confess, they kept piling rocks on because you didn't confess and you died anyway. So it's kind of like, that's a no-win situation. But Paul says, listen, all this pressure, it doesn't crush us. It doesn't crush us. (coughs) Perplexed? Are you ever confused about situations and circumstances and just can't say, "I I don't get it? But it's not driven to despair. Persecuted. How many times do we feel alone and abandoned? But he says, we're not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's the idea of somebody beating on you. We must be intentional about living with peace. And that's why there's the disciplines. We have to understand the character of peace. We can't manufacture it but we can live in it because it's all about Jesus. And if you're looking for peace from your circumstances, there isn't enough lawyers, counselors, doctors to deliver that peace to you. I could have listed a whole lot of people there. But if you're looking for peace in the midst of your life circumstances, knowing the future secure, I have good news for you. And that good news is Jesus Christ. There's a hymn It's written by a man that suffered from clinical depression all of his life. And maybe you heard this hymn, but I'm going to read some of the words of it. It said, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Here's what I want to do in closing. Um, I guess Carol's going to sing a song for us? Yes. And before she does that, I just really want, is Bryant you're playing? We're going to ask for some music. Great. I love the way Brian plays. It gives me peace. <laughs> um, I'm going to invite those that want to come and just pray or have somebody pray for you. We're not going to spend a long time doing that. If you're in the balcony, if you want to come just down the aisle to the thing and you can kneel and pray there. And if somebody comes, I'm going to ask somebody else, just go up. Next to them, don't ask them what they're looking for. Just pray with them. I mean, God knows. Holy Spirit interprets. I think sometimes we think we need to know things we don't need to know. But if you're struggling this morning and you need peace and want just the body to surround you, uh, I'm going to ask you to come. Then after a season, Carol's going to come and we're going to close out that way. So, Brian, you want to start playing? And if you want to come, just come. And again, for people to come, surround them, and let's just make this spontaneous.